and welcome to Conversations on Karate. I'm Sue. I'm Greg. And we're doing an Ask Us Anything episode. We are. Ask Us Anything at all. I was disappointed by the lack of people asking us about cake, but that's fine. Yeah, that's right. What what can you really ask about cake that the world doesn't already know? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Anyway, let's have a look at our questions. So we've got some good stuff here. So we have a, a list. Let's start from the top, shall we? Okay, are we going to do them all? Are we going to pick a few? Or are we going to try and rattle through as many as possible? Let's How do you rattle. want to do this? Right, okay. Well, we've got quite a few questions. So... I think this first one, I like this, from Niall. Mm-hmm. Um, some people think British karate should have kept its nerve in the 70s and maintained karate as an adult-only activity. What are the pros and cons of having kids in karate? And are there ways to prevent or minim- minimise the kidification that has to happen to make it a child-friendly activity? Well, that's definitely one for you. What do you think? Um, I mean... If if it was kept an adult only thing, then I wouldn't have started. And I think the majority of like adult karateka now probably wouldn't have started. A lot of people start when they're kids. Mm. But what about um, the sort of you know the the making it safer that has to happen for? I mean, realistically, if we're talking in the seventies, the only the only thing that wasn't safe I'm assuming was they used to do kumite with no gloves aside from that it's just traditional karate right mm-hmm. which realistically is pretty damn safe yeah um, I mean any martial art can be made safe without abandoning like the true core of it like we we, we have kids doing like grappling drills, ground drills, safely, sparring safely. It doesn't mean it's a watered-down version. It just means that you you teach them from day one to do things a certain way. I think the reason a lot of the old-school karate stuff wasn't quote-unquote safe is because, like, the health and safety type thing wasn't really thought about. You look at boxing, how many kids box? Lots. Exactly. And I would argue boxing is 10 times more dangerous than karate. Mm-hmm. How many kids do MMA? A lot. Kickboxing, a lot. Jiu-jitsu, a lot. It's nothing to do with the art. It's just how it's, how it's taught. And none of those arts are watered down for kids. Mm. What about you? What do you think? Um, I have a, a feeling that this is um, something about seeing children doing this in lines and not doing anything one-on-one. So there's that change from actual hands-on, working with partners, sparring, to not doing those things at all, or hardly any, and doing very strict um, one-step sparring, two-step sparring, So doing those things, and we've pretty much abandoned that in our classes. 
totally abandoned that in our classes. So I think that that's possibly the kiddification, as 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 Nar puts it. Potentially, he'll he'll have to tell us if we if um if we're along the right lines with our answer of what he's thinking. But yeah. that probably removed a great deal of the hands-on sparring with each other that we do. Yeah. As you say, we're doing it. We do it and we do it all and it's all safe. Certainly not full contact. No, God, no. You know, so there's no... Yeah, so it's, it's interesting that that, was, that, was, that happened at the time, but I think that was it. And we've been told before, haven't we, it was the way to make it accessible to large groups of people yeah i mean but i mean that happened way before the 70s and yeah. way before it came to england i think there's this well, i think when it came to england like the kugb obviously tried to make it a bit more a bit more rough again i guess mm-hmm. for one reason or another whether it didn't i don't think it really worked no yeah, that's an interesting question, though. It is. It is. I'd like to hear from Niall when we, when he hears this. You can let us know what you think, Niall. I'd like to hear your perspective. Okay, mm. next question, also from Niall. Is it legitimate to make changes to Kata? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> well, I, I agree, but this is... Um, so I'll, re- I'll read more of it. On one hand, look at the different versions of ba- Basai and Pasai we have among the major styles um, or even the way that JKA Kata has evolved from the 1950s, 1960s footage on the other creative or extreme or even what passes for traditional Kata in um, some American competitions. And this, this last part, which I thought was really interesting and got me thinking is Kata like a Shakespeare play or Darwinian theory. Okay. Is it legitimate to make changes to Kata? Yes. I think... I mean, it depends what for. I mean, let's be... Realistically, no one in the world really understands the original Kata. They just don't. And if they do, they're off somewhere and no one really knows about them. All the, the, the application and the bunkai you see is theory based on reverse engineering a form that's hundreds of years old which has changed massively from a hundred years ago already so a lot of the stuff like the applications people come up with are from the more modern versions anyway so it couldn't possibly be the original function and we'll never know the original function. So having said that, if if the bunker you come up with fits the Takata, but you might need to tweak the way you perform it, then tweak the way you perform it. I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, what, at the end of the day, what are you doing Kata for? If you're doing it to please an association who tell you you have to do it a certain way, then obviously don't change it. But if you haven't got that, then, I, I mean, no one's going to shoot you for changing it. <laughs> or at least I haven't been shot yet because I changed anything. 
Um, yeah, that's a, I, I always baffles me when people get really hung up on changes in kata. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's especially when you could like if you talk about the basai, the pasai thing. Like there are so many different versions because they're based on the people that taught them. So you have this person's version, you have that person's version, you have another person's version. They all look somewhat similar. There's a similar shape, but they're all different within that shape. Mm -hmm. But they're all the same family, mm. if you know what I mean. That's where they end up being like a Shakespeare play. Yeah. You know, I've I've been to see, I don't know, I haven't watched a lot of Shakespeare, but I've seen The Tempest and Macbeth and I've seen them all perform different ways. And sometimes you've got great big actors who are declaiming every single line and doing everything in a very, what you might call, traditional way. Mm-hmm. I've also seen Macbeth stripped back, done with a simple structure, wooden structure on the stage. There's something like 12 men in the company and they play every single part. Mm. You know, they put on wigs to play the women. Everything is stripped back. It's the same play. Yeah. It's still telling the same story. Some of the lines are the same, but they are delivered very differently. It's the energy about it is very different. It's, but the story is still the same. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good question again. Mm, I like the idea of, is it a Shakespeare play or Darwinian theory? Because they both tell a story about where we come from. Mm. Darwinian theory is where we come from. And Shakespeare play is telling you stories to describe where you come from. Telling you stories to get the feeling of where you come from. Mm. But I think, you know, you're not really going to change a kata that much. You know, you're not going to say, we're only going to do the first three moves and that's it. That's basai. Basai dai. That's it. Done. You're not changing it like that. You're going to be, no. you know, the hands might be open in this place or the hands might be closed in that place I mean, or something like, will change. I'm trying to think of some changes that I, I've made. Uh, like so, in the hands, because we we my base was Shotokan, so all the kicks we do in the hands are side kicks. Mm -hmm. I do front kicks because it makes far more sense to me. Now, if I was in the JKA, they probably strip my grade away and mm. tell me I shouldn't do that. <laughs> but at the end, it's it's just not a big deal. And I, and I encourage people that when we teach that to do that as well, like find what kick works for you in the situation you're using it. Mm -hmm. Because if you're using kata to essentially shadow box what you know, it needs to be as closely related to the two-person drill as possible. You don't, you don't watch like a shadow box, like someone who's shadow boxing, boxing, like pull their hikate back to their hip. No. And then when it comes to drilling, they put it on their head. Because that would be ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But yet you do that all the time in kata. You mm -hmm. go, oh, yeah, when we do the solo form, we're going to do it like this. But during the bunker, you can change. Like, well, that makes no sense then. Mm -hmm. You may as well bin off one of them. 
that's my view on it in terms of changing stuff. I hadn't thought about that that last bit. Yeah. Oh, that would make Kata very much much more interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's how it should be. It should be as closely related to the, the two-person drill as possible. Hmm. Obviously, there's an art about Kata as well. But if you're doing it for the art, I would argue nine times out of ten, you're not worried about what it means and you're doing it for competition. In which case, you do what the rules of the competition dictate you to do. So if the change you make is your sidekick goes from the middle level sidekick to a super head height sidekick, and that's a change that's valid for that outcome. Yeah. If you extend your stance to make it three times as deep, that's a change that's valid for the outcome. You see what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, completely. But that's, yeah, like you say, that's not using it for practical form. That's using it to... Yeah. For performance, for art, for competition. Very, very different. And they're both valid changes that you can make based on your outcome that you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I know we've talked about this as well, but also just physical ability. You know, if you're doing something and it's supposed to be a sidekick and like you say, you actually physically can't do one. Mm. Or you're doing the beginning of MP and you simply cannot fall to the ground at the beginning, you just can't yep. drop your knee, then don't. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's a change to how we've been taught it, but it's still valid because you're ex- you're still executing the move. Mm. Now, I think you mentioned the JK. I remember like years and years ago, we had like a course where it was like, right, okay, this has changed. Like you now come up onto the ball of your foot rather than the flat of your foot or something. It was like, okay, why? Well, that's just the way we do it now. And you just, like that to me is baffling because there's no logic behind it. Mm. Or if there was any logic behind it, it wasn't explained. It just seems a change like a random little change for the sake of it. It didn't affect performance. It didn't affect function. Essentially affected nothing other than confusing a boatload of people that had to relearn what they already knew. (sighs) Which in turn, I suppose, gets people on courses that they then have to pay for. (laughs) So, I mean, there might be something to do with it. Yeah. Well, that's changing Kata for a reason, isn't it? (laughs) Mm. It may be the most important reason of all. Keep your customers coming back. Mm. Good marketing. Yeah. Maybe they're just not. I know we've we've said this before, but it just makes me think there's just not enough questions asked in karate, as you said. If we said many times, why? And that question should be answered. Why am I doing this? Why is that better for me? Why don't if I did this? Why is that not better? And there should be an answer for that. Yeah, but we have to remember that where where it comes from, that is not a valid question. No, and I get that. I get that. But it is where we are now. That is a valid question. Yes. So, um, you know, I think we always all think that what we're doing is the best. 
you know, we, we, are, we all think that and we all know that we can do better, but we all like the way that we do things in our own particular clubs, I'm sure. But yeah, you should be able to ask, well, why am I on the ball of my foot, not the flat? Why is that better? And there should be an answer that makes sense that you can get hold of, even if that is a question of trust me just for now, because you will see this in the next two weeks. It will make sense. Yeah. Which is also fine because you can't teach every last thing in every every lesson. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, basically then then yes, you should. Right. Our next question is from Mr. Joe Andrews. Joe Andrews, I know that guy. You do know that guy. <laughs> He spent yesterday evening sitting on us in turn. He did. <laughs> he did indeed. That was fun. Um, Joe says, choose three guests you've had on the show and tell us who was the, um, well, most enlightening, told the best story, possibly the funniest. Hmm. That's a damn good question. Mm, tricky, isn't it? Hard question. Oh. What's the first one? Most enlightening. I don't know if I could say who was the most enlightening because everyone was enlightening, but I think there could be some enlightening moments we could pick out, definitely. Okay, I'll let you go first then. <laughs> okay well one enlightening moment came to me from mike clark it was that that enlightenment moment for me from him was um the sense that what we were doing I, th I think a lot of people have put this to us, but I think it came to me very clearly from him that what we're doing isn't self-defense and mm -hmm. that if someone is hell-bent on hurting you and that's their intention and that's what they do, they will. And all the karate in the world won't save you from that. Yeah. That was a big one. Yeah. I think another very enlightening moment came to me very early on with um, Ian Abernethy mm -hmm. when he talked about um, he 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 was our first guest I think wasn't he and he he was. I, he was blew my mind when he talked about um, was it consent in pressure yeah and the idea that the students together could work out what was acceptable for each of them and how that in itself was such a skill to be able to say that's too much for me or you can go harder and you could work it out with your partner for each person and that that was such a skill in kind of boundary setting. Mm. That was a big enlightening moment for me. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, there's so many. That's a really hard question. That's a really hard question. I know, because there's so many. I don't think there's been any episode where I haven't felt really <laughs> enlightened. Yeah. I mean, let's just think about this for a minute. We, we have had on here Patrick McCarthy. 
Yeah. We have had Ken Knight. We have had, um, let me just think here. Joe Andrews himself has, of course. We've had James Hatch. I mean, he was very enlightening. Yeah. When he spoke about um, weapons and, again, about the realities of, of actual fighting. Another incredibly enlightening person, Sensei Mike Stone. Mike Stone, yes. Yeah, I mean, his ability to... Um, self-actualize, realize what was in his head, decide what he wanted to do and go ahead and be that person. It was amazing. Yeah. Absolutely incre incredible. Chuck Merriman. I was about to say Chuck Merriman, yeah. What was not enlightening about that? Mm. And his, actually, funniest story, I'll take his funny story. <laughs> when he was at the Albert Hall. Yeah. <laughs> When he was at the Albert Hall and he ran into Richard Burton and they were drinking. <laughs> That's a great story. That was an absolutely amazing story. And anyone who's not heard it, knit back and listen to that episode with, uh, with Chuck. Yeah, it was a good, that was a good episode. That was, and that was a very funny story. I love that. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, enlightening moment. I'll tell you one enlightening moment was when we first spoke to uh, Matt the first time, mm -hmm. when he spoke about his pilgrimage, his book, all that I thought was very... I remember being, uh, if you listen back, I think the last after that is we're both kind of sat there going, oh. mm -hmm. and we don't Definitely. say much else. Um, Pat McCarthy's was definitely enlightening. Especially mm -hmm. when he was talking about, like, where a lot of Kata comes from. Mm. I thought that was enlightening. And yeah. the, the stuff we did with Rich and Pam, I thought was great. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, there's so many. There's so, yeah, it's it's almost not possible. But I, I think those ones um, were the ones that absolutely, and I think that you, um, were pretty enlightened by Andy Allen, weren't you? Because when you yes. spoke with him and his, your conversation with him around syllabus construction and things like that, mm -hmm. that was really, really helpful for you, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah. It was. So we've mentioned so many others, but let's also just give a great big shout out to Joe Swift and Andy Kidd. Yeah. <laughs> and Les Bubka. Mm-hmm. Everyone. And Mary Stevens, they've all been enlightening and they've all told us amazing stories. Yeah. What was the I next one? Funniest. Funniest story. Or the funniest guest. Funniest guest. Baz Rutten would be up there. Mm. Yeah. I'll say Bass just because that's the, the, an easy answer. Mm. Let's go for that. Let's go for that. Though I do seem to remember laughing kind of helplessly at Ken Knight a few times. I think we've had some big yeah. giggles with Ken Knight. Yeah, I love Ken. Who is, um, he tells great stories and is funny and is extremely enlightening. Yes. Okay. So I, I, we're going to have to kind of go with all of them. Yeah, everyone. <laughs> 
but um but yeah i'd love to know what what um other people think as well what you mm. took away from things the most so um question from mary what has been your most unexpected takeaway from your guests? Ooh, that's a good question. Mm. Unexpected takeaway. That's a really good question. A really hard one to answer. This might not be the answer that Mary would expect. But I want to say the most unexpected takeaway from a lot of guests for me is how when we speak to them, it feels like we've known them for years. Mm. And they're very easy to talk to, very welcoming. Mm. <clears throat> there's no there's no ego. There's no martial arts ego. There's none of that. Mm. It feels like we've known them for decades. Mm-hmm. And that always baffles me after... Mm. Because I'm like, this is the first time we've spoke, but we just spoke to them for three hours. Mm-hmm. Like we've known them for years. Mm-hmm. That's my answer. Mm-hmm. It's funny you should say that because when I was um, thinking about the answer to this question, that is, it's very close to what I was thinking. That before every single one, I would, you know, we would look them up, and I would think, gosh, look at what they've accomplished. Look at who they are in the world, the books they've written, the shows that they've done, the competitions they've won, this extraordinary person. And they come on and they're just so lovely to us. And I'm I'm finding myself thinking, well, we're just this, you know, couple of people down here in Somerset doing our thing. And they take so much time and they're just lovely. And I don't think there's one of them that I wouldn't immediately, if they said, let's, let's go for a beer, you know, afterwards. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, every single one of them, if they said, let's, you know, let's, um, let's finish this down the pub and let's go for a beer straight after I would happily talk to any of them all over again, over. And I think that's what we've said pretty much to all of them is like, please come again, please come again. Because we could talk to them and talk to them. But you're right. Lack of ego is amazing. Yeah. But another one that's unexpected is um, <laughs> how when you ask them to say, tell us how you got to hear your, your martial arts journey. It's amazing how many people can talk for up to half an hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because they all have such interesting journeys and they can remember all of it as well. It's amazing to me. <laughs> Yeah, we've had some good guests. Okay, next question. Okay, next question from Dan. What would be the most difficult interview you ever had to endure? Endure? I don't think we've ever had a difficult one we had to endure. No, never. Not happened. To be honest. Um, I think... I th- I think what we could do is um we d- we didn't have a difficult one. I think there was there was definitely been some that I was so petrified of talking to someone that I didn't really say anything for about half an hour. 
There's okay. definitely those. Um, and I, I'm going to say that the, the one with Pat McCarthy um, <laughs> gave me collie wobbles um, because, and not because of him, um, because several things happened in that one. That was one of our longest interviews ever. Um, and I was, I was looking at the time tick away. I was also sat in the back office of, um, of the place I worked because of the, the time. And it got to quite late in the evening and it was really dark and I was getting really scared and edgy. <laughs> and then at the end of it, Greg's phone conked out and I had to deal with the end of the interview on oh, my that's own. that's right, it did. Yeah, I forgot that. <laughs> so at the end of it, it's like, Greg's gone. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm trying not to panic too much. But I was a bit freaked out. <laughs> I forgot that, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to talk to Pat again. I'd love to. Yeah. Yeah. As, I mean, the, the thing is, when you talk to somebody like that, because he also gives long answers, mm. you know, you're going to get a lot of information on one question, which is great, but it also means you can't, ask many 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 questions so we do definitely need to talk to him again because there's so many things that we would love to ask him yeah what would you ask him if you had if you you know next time we talk to him sure we will i'd love to ask him about the question that we got asked about changes in Qatar. to be honest mm. i'd like to see what his views are yeah and he'll have a lot of information of how it has been changed and why and where and yeah let's do that sweet okay um so no the answer to that is we haven't had a difficult interview no we really um, haven't no we haven't everyone has been absolutely lovely mm. no one's been difficult no one's we've never had one of those ones where we've had to work for answers you know it, it's we've reached out to people they've reached out to us and They've been terrific every single time, been open and just talked. And it really has been because I don't think we have a very formal structure. Yeah. Um, it's never really felt like an interview. It's always felt like we'd love to talk to you and hear what you have to say about your knowledge. Yeah. And so I think we've always come at it that way because we never wanted to have this kind of very formal um, question, answer, question, answer, question, answer type thing. Mm. That feels very stressful to us. We like it to be as relaxed as possible. So I think that that's come across and yeah. um, and it, it helps make for a, a relaxed atmosphere, I think. Yeah, I agree. Okay, have you ever had any technical difficulties that resulted in an episode being abandoned or had to re-record? Never had to re-record but we have had technical difficulties. We had feedback on a few where I've had literally hours of fun trying to get rid of reverb. Mm. So that was that was with Joe Saunders for yeah. about an hour's worth of his conversation. Everything that I said or Greg said echoed back over the person who was then speaking. It was horrendous. Mm. Um, and we have several times been so excited to have a guest on. We kind of get them on and chat to them first. We've completely forgotten to actually record an intro. <laughs> yes. We're better at that now. 
<clears throat> yeah, we used to just start talking and then be like, oh. <laughs> and you know, it's only just recently occurred to me that loads of people don't do it that way anyway, that they actually have the conversation and then formally record an intro properly. Yeah. <laughs> I've only just recently worked that out. <laughs> well, maybe we, we can do that in future. <laughs> really need to make, pay more attention to that kind of thing. Um, no, we've not had to re-record anything. We've had to um, do a few things, a, f a few edits by request um, yeah. here and there where someone has um, said something in the flow of a conversation where they've thought, actually, you know, for whatever reason, that's that's something that they need to um, just snip away, and and I've done that, you know, taken away, you know, dodgy sounds and mm. made things quieter. But no, we we really haven't had anything. We've never had to re-record. I know other people who've had to re-record when things have gone wrong. Never yet managed to not hit record. She says no. suddenly worrying and. No, it's Actually, recording. This one's recording. It's recording. <laughs> it's recording. Don't worry. Yeah, there's so, always that worry, though. I mean, do you have favourites? I mean, that's one of the next questions. Do you have favourites out of our podcasts, or um, a favourite, you know, a favourite guest, or a favourite podcast, or a favourite kind of thing that you've enjoyed doing more than other kinds of things? Um, I like the UFC ones. Mm -hmm. I always find that I learn a lot from them. Mm -hmm. Um, I like just the <coughs> I like the random ones we do, where we just have no plan, and we just see what happens. Yeah, I like those. Um, I do. I just I do like having the guests. I always really enjoy those. I always get a lot from them. Mm. So basically I just like all of it. I like all of it as well. Yeah. I like it um, when we, I like the random ones because there's, <sighs> that feels very free to me. I like the yeah. freeness of that. You know, we can just go anywhere and talk about anything. And, and I've always got something that I want to know or understand. And so I feel like I learn a lot from that. Mm. Um, I love having our guests on. Um, I think something that I need to work on is feeling a little more confident before they come on. I always feel a bit kind of like, who am I to be asking these people questions? I have a little bit of that sometimes. Right. Um, just because they're, you know, fantastic people. Mm. Um and I'm always just so amazed that they've come on to talk to us. Yeah. Just us, like, we. but that's that's cool, you know. They come and they talk to us and I hope they get something out of it. They always say that they've enjoyed themselves. Yeah. And I always feel like I've learned such a huge amount just by talking yeah. to them, just by being around them. Yeah. Yeah, I always come away with something, which is good. 
a lot. So I don't think I could say I have a f- one favorite podcast. Um, but if I was going to pick a favorite, I think I would probably, I'd probably just have to pick the first one. Because, you know, <laughs> it happened and it worked. That's true. <laughs> and true. The whole thing was so, the whole thing was so random. We kind of worked out the, how the show was going to be on that first day. <laughs> Yeah, we worked out the name. We just kind of, with no plan. No, we didn't know what was going to happen. We just kind of like, we like the idea of sitting in a studio and talking about this. So give it a shot and see where we go. Mm. Yeah. And so I guess, I guess I'd have to, and I always think, to be honest with you, that one is probably my favorite. And then I'm always most keen on the last one we did, wherever we are. You know, the last one, I'm always super excited about the last one. Yeah, the next one that's coming out after this, I really enjoyed. <laughs> yes. With, with uh, Joe. With Joe. Absolutely. Joe Saunders is a is I really a enjoyed that. Guest. Yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's a great guest. He is. But I don't want anyone else to feel like they're not a great guest. You're all great guests. Yes. Every absolutely. last one of you are terrific, wonderful, and we want you all to come back. Yeah, please do. And we have no doubt that you're listening to this avidly. Yeah, absolutely. Do we have one more question? Um, it's been really funnily phrased. I like this. It's really funny. Um, but this is basically about um, Jiguru Kano, founder of Judo, is having a meeting mm. with Gishin Funakoshi. Mm. And um, he says, now, right, look, Gishin, I approve of this newfangled karate dough of yours, but I can't let you nab all of judo's best ideas. You can either have the gi or the belt grading system. Um, so, dude, how can we keep the gi closed without a belt? Funikoshi asks. I mean, a visual signifier of your grade. You wear white gi? Hang on. You wear, I mean, a visual signifier of your grade you wear while karateing. So Funikoshi turns to you, that's us, Sue and Greg. What do you think I should choose? The belt grading system? Or the gate? The belt grading system. Mm. You think? Yeah. Why? Because I rarely train in a gate. You do? Do you not? The last few weeks, I haven't really. Tuesday mornings, we don't wear a gi. That's true. And that's the time I do most of my training. No, I do gi jiu-jitsu, but that's because it's specifically gi jiu-jitsu. Okay. Um, but really, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't miss not having the gi for karate, put it that way. Mm. But the rank system, I think, is something that's very useful. But the teacher knows what rank you are. Yeah, based on the rank system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But coloured belts? I mean, do you actually need the coloured belt to know that? Yeah, you don't need the belt, to be fair. But the actual system of rank, I think, is probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like, Ken doesn't use belt exactly use that's what belts. i'm thinking about yeah yeah but they they have the system of rank still yeah so yeah 
I would say the ranking system mm -hmm. above the gi. Okay. You. Um, well, actually, I was going to go the other way. I mean, the grading system, yes. The rank system, yes. But I think gis are, um, I think gis are practical. It doesn't have to be that kind of gi, but they are, they are practical. You know, it saves you ripping your t-shirt. If you want to do grabs and throws and stuff like that, they are useful to grab a hold of. Mm. They're strong and practical. That's it, really. I mean, for me, that's the only reason to use a gi rather than your own clothes is because they're strong and they're practical. So you can grab them and pull them and drag them. And I've had mine for about seven years now, and it's still hanging in there. <laughs> True. So there's that. But we trained all the way through summer, through um, when we went back down to um, to training, although we weren't doing we weren't getting hold of each other because of the distancing regulations. But when we were allowed to train outside, nobody wore a gi. No. So I think maybe the jackets more than the trousers. Yeah, maybe. Um, so I guess I'm not that, you know, I would hesitate to grab some kid's T-shirt and drag it hard because I wouldn't want to rip someone's nice T-shirt. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's fair enough. Good question. And well phrased. It is very well phrased. Yeah. There were some good questions. Yeah, some very good questions. I want to thank everyone for that. That was very good. And some tricky ones as well. Yeah. I think we'll steal those for some future guests, some of those. <laughs> Definitely. I tell yeah. you what. Here's the thing. I'm going to borrow this from Tim Ferriss. I would love somebody to send in a question for a guest, not knowing who that guest might be. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. and we'll get our next guest maybe to ask a question of the next guest, not knowing who that guest might be. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. So, um, send us a question that you could ask a guest without knowing who that guest might be. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, do that. Okay. And we'll, yeah, and we'll carry that on. And we have these suggestions. Should I read out these suggestions that have come to us? Uh, yeah, go on and read a few. Gavin Mulholland, Randy Brown, Mike Turbitt, Andy Kidd, or all of the Bunkai bastards at the same time. Andy Allen again, Vince Morris, Ab Ian Abernethy again. We've reached out to Ian, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've reached out Absolutely. to Ian. And uh, he's a busy guy, and uh, he doesn't catch up on his emails um, swiftly because he's inundated. But um, I'm very much hoping he's had our email. Yes. Um, yeah. So what do you think of that list? That's a good list. That's a good list. That's a good list. Yeah, absolutely. Let's Randy Brown be good. Yeah. Talk to Randy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We will, uh, we'll make some of those happen. Mm -hmm. Okay, everyone. Well, it is the week before Christmas and this is our Christmas episode. So yes. let's take a moment to say happy Christmas. Happy Christmas all. Have a wonderful time. Eat and drink lots. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll see you probably in the new year now. 
Mm-hmm. I'll see you in the new year. And uh, so happy, absolutely, we'll see you all in the new year. <laughs> and hopefully Christmas Greg's over all. is cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Okay, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being here all year and wish you all a very happy Christmas. Absolutely. Goodbye, all. Goodbye. Yeah,